Welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we used to revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ and I'm the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Uh, You'll notice how I kept the intro short and factual. (laughs) As an intro should be. I tried to make it, like, I, I know, like, last time I tried to go bigger, tried to encompass our new mission, uh, d- did a bit of a hash job on it. So um, so it's factually accurate. We did used to cover Grant Morrison's run on JLA. Now we're covering everything under the sun, kind of. I tell you what, I'll give you to the end of Final Night to just lock down our new intro. Thank you. Thank you, PJ. You've That's got- very... Very forgiving. Two more episodes after this one, and then I expect you to have a brand new intro ready to go. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> I will, um, yeah, I'll do my homework for once. <laughs> we were we were just, as we often do, we, we've been chatting off air before we started recording. You know, kind of limbering up the uh, the mental faculties and all that. And uh, we, we actually had a, a very informed, very interesting discussion that would have been great if we'd recorded it about... Uh, kind of, well, I, we, uh, weird crossovers in a weird way. We we were talking about uh, Superman meets the Fantastic Four. Yeah, there was a, a Superman Fantastic Four crossover in late nineties, early two thousands. I forget exactly when, but it was by Dan Jurgens. He wrote and drew it and had a cover that was, I think, Jurgens pencils and then Alex Ross painted over it. But um. It was one of the massive, like, A3 size books DC put out, uh, which they were doing for a little while, that I own. And it's huge and unwieldy, but I kind of love it. <laughs> I will I will put some pictures on the social media. To, if anyone wasn't around when DC were releasing these giant books, um, I think it's going to be... You're going to go, what the... F- what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the thing that uh, blew my mind the most, because I'm, I'm culturally aware... That Superman met the Fantastic Four. Um, I did not realise it until you brought it up, PJ, that it kind of references the prior continuity of Marvel versus DC. Yeah, so basically there's a moment where Superman needs to go to the Marvel Universe and he mentions needing to find Access, who was the key character of DC versus Marvel, and then two follow-up miniseries. Does... um. D- and and was access just available? Did access just was just access hanging out or something like that in a bar? Or you don't actually see access in the comic. Uh, Superman says oh. he needs to find him, and then the next scene is clearly he's found him because he turns up at the Fantastic Four's peer headquarters in the Marvel <gasps> universe. Because we are in the just post heroes return period where oh. the Thunderbolts were at Four Freedoms Plaza. 
Oh, my life. Yeah, Pier 4. Good grief. That kind of places it later than I imagined. But I, I guess it would have to be because what Marvel vs. DC was kind of... Was that 96? I think so, yeah. Like early yeah. 96, I think. And then, of course, 97 is when a lot of stuff changed because, yeah, the Morrison run on JLA kind of coincided with the Heroes Return event. And, yeah, that was really when I started collecting Fantastic Four. Mm. Um, and, yeah, for me, they're like, oh, of course they're living in a weird pier on the dock. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I, in doing some Googling while we were chatting, I uh, found another Marvel DC crossover, which I'm sure you know about, PJ, because you're very you're very well informed. Uh, Silver Surfer Superman. So I'm aware of it, but it's one of the few that I haven't read. Because um, for a period in the 90s, after DC versus Marvel, even just before it, I think, it was an annual thing. Every year there would be two DC Marvel crossovers, one published by Marvel, one by DC. Really? Yeah, so like the same time as DC put out Superman Fantastic Four, Marvel put out Incredible Hulk versus Superman by Steve Rude, which is also great. But that one treats it as if they both live in a shared universe all along. Right, yeah, and and but which is kind of how I assumed they did a load of these things. Because isn't there a famous? This is my ignorance talking now. But back in the seventies, wasn't there like a Spider-Man meets Superman sort of thing? There were two. There was the very first one, which is Superman meets the Amazing Spider-Man, um, which I I think again treated them like they had like they lived in the same universe. And then I think there was that was published by DC. I want to say, mm. and then there was Spider-Man versus superman which was the marvel published one i think soon after that but yeah i think they were like in the 70s and they were were they the first crossovers or was there's a batman hulk one as well but i can't really? remember if that came before superman spider-man or not certainly it's an early one i haven't read that one well to your knowledge how much how much continuity we're we talking because i know in the pages of marvel versus dc which is as we say kind of like i think early 96 uh there's the very very because a lot of it's very brief they don't spend a lot of time on every battle but you've got kyle versus silver surfer yes kyle versus norin and uh they briefly mentioned that they've met before yes so i think that was to my knowledge and someone might out there might be able to correct me if i'm wrong i think that was silver surfer green lantern which I also own and is a lot of fun uh, <laughs> that was i think the first time they'd done a crossover in continuity, as it were, where the two universes actually met, and it actually acts as a prequel to DC versus Marvel because it ends on a cliffhanger, which is the bum in the alleyway with the box. Really? Yeah. Oh my god! Wow, yeah. I had no idea. And then leads into DC versus Marvel. And then, of course, yeah. So I don't know when I should have done my research, but really, this, these thoughts have only just occurred to me. I did not know. Uh, I have no idea when Superman Silver Surfer came out, but given that Galactus is a major player in the Fantastic Four super, uh, Superman crossover and where Superman becomes a herald of Galactus, yeah, do we know, is that referenced in any way in the Silver Surfer Superman thing? Or am I, I think the Silver Surfer this? Superman one came before it. Um I think that was a year or two before Superman Fantastic Four. I, and again, I don't know if that's in continuity or... I, I think the Impossible Man and Muxius Putaluk are involved. Uh, who, who, PJ? Muxius Putaluk. Oh, I see, I see. I, I thought you said uh, Muxius Putaluk. 
yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I've got images up now, and there seem to be uh, a lot of Mr. What's his name again? Mixius Butterluck. Thank you. Yes, as you said, uh, him and the Impossible Man uh, smiling on the back cover uh, in very, very, very large nineties um, grins. Mm. I would say impossibly yeah. large. Yeah, yeah. It. I. I vaguely. My. My. All I know about this one is I remember it being announced in. The Marvel books at the time had their uh, bullpen bulletins pages, which was usually a double page spread that would be in every comic for that month and would be like news about what else Marvel is bringing out that month. And the Superman Silver Surfer story I remember running and it was like they both woke up on each other's worlds, like Norrin wakes up on Krypton, um, but it's coming under attack from Galactus and Superman wakes up on, um, oh God, what's the Silver Surfer's home planet called? Oh, uh, was it Ra? Ra, yeah, I think. Yeah, why do I know that? My God. Um, <laughs> but it's under attack from Skrulls or something, I think. And that's where they wake up on each other's worlds, in each other's lives sort of thing. Um, PJ, yeah, I need to, I'd I, like to read that one. Yeah, PJ, I don't know how to tell you this, but I, I've just brought it up on the DC database. Silver Surfer Superman came out in November 1996. Oh, really? Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. And also written by George Perez. I definitely need to read this now. Yeah. I know they did they've done collections of all the DC Marvel crossovers. I think they're quite they're not in print. They're hard to find. Um but I need to track them down and buy them cuz I've got a lot of them, but there are some that I'm missing. And yeah, I I want to read them cuz they are they're very silly books, but they're also a lot of fun. I really really like them. Even I even really like the ones John Byrne did. So Batman, Captain America, um, Galactus versus Darkseid. I enjoy <laughs> they're, they're both great. I I did not realise there were so many of these. In the 90s, it happened every year. Once a year, I think. Yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? I don't know what's... I, I, when did... I'm trying to work out, like, you, you know, you can have, like, a story where, you know, you do, oh, Superman meets the Hulk... And there's no continuity. And just for the context of the story, uh, they exist in the same universe. We never mention it again. We never ask any questions. Or you have something like Marvel versus DC, which formally acknowledges that the two universes have kind of come into conflict. But then they don't really kind of reference it again. Kind of. Um, Or, again, you've got uh, uh, JLA Avengers, which, particularly with Kurt Busiek jumping onto... Uh, JLA not long after there's a direct continuity there I just wonder I don't know what's better like is it is it or maybe they all have their merits like it it, it was there a certain was there something to it where it's just like oh the impossible man just swaps character uh, swaps universes and you don't think about it too much yeah I I think both both ways have their merits like I also really enjoy the two access miniseries that came out I think it was all access was the DC one which I think was 90s Six, only a few months after DC versus Marvel, where Access is still sort of learning his powers and um, there's something going wrong with them. So who's the first issue is uh, Superman, Spider-Man, and they right. team up against Venom um, because Venom just appears in Metropolis and Superman's having trouble with him. So Access goes to get Spider-Man. Whoa, whoa, and- whoa, whoa. Sorry, sorry. Not, not to dive too deep into the plot of that story, but how is Superman having trouble with Venom? Uh, it's they, there's some contrivances there really are but i think it's because venom isn't quite like anything superman's faced before he's not quite expecting 
expecting him. And Venom does say, there's there's a nice little moment where he says, hey, I, I can take you. I've gone toe-to-toe with the Juggernaut. And Superman just goes, well, so have I. So, because <laughs> of course they fought in DC versus Marvel. But then, yeah, when Spider-Man turns up, sonic weapons, all that stuff. And of course, DC versus Marvel is during the Clone Saga. So it was Ben Riley in that. But by the time of All Access, it's Peter Parker again. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, because there was that fun moment in Marvel vs. DC where Ben Riley meets the Joker. Yeah. And the Joker says, oh, hey, Spider-Man, haven't seen you in a while. I love the new costume. And and Ben Riley's like, I've never seen you before in my life. So Yeah. And they reference it again because Superman says, oh, hey, you've changed your costume. And Spidey goes, changed back, actually. Long story. <laughs> But then- I have a soft spot for... I, I think it's just because that's where I I collected Spider-Man comics for a while, but I love Ben Riley's costume. Yeah. And I have a bit of a soft spot for Ben Riley. <laughs> but then issue two is when Access is dropping Spider-Man back in New York, Jubilee runs up to him and says, hey, I really want to see Robin again. Take me to see him, please. And he does. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a Jubilee-Robin team up against Two-Face. <laughs> <laughs> wow. They sound fun. Yeah, sound fun. but then issue three, because Access's powers are going weird, he goes to Batman for help, and Batman says, okay, well, um, you know, in it, in the Amalgam universe, what was going on with you? And Access mentions that Doctor Strange, Strange Fate was trying to kill him, so Batman thinks, well, let's go see Doctor Strange, so they go to the Marvel Universe, and it's Batman, Doctor Strange, and then issue four, it all kicks off when the Jubilee calls the X-Men to help Doctor Strange, so Axis brings the Justice League to help Batman, <laughs> and it's JLA versus <laughs> X-Men. Okay, okay, well that's... Which is fun, but then like yeah. the following year you get Unlimited Access, which was the Marvel published one, where Access is hopping around the universes, but also time, and he's struggling to be stay in the present day in either universe, so then you get like, it's at the point where uh, Wonder Woman was dead, Diana was dead in, in DC continuity, but she turns up and Axis is like, oh, I thought you were dead. That's weird. Hal Jordan appears and you get bits with all the Western characters and things like that. It's a lot of fun. We're probably going to have to touch upon um, the Judgment League Avengers at some yeah, point. Yeah, I think we are. I think yeah. we are. Because <laughs> that's that's Howard Porter as well, isn't it? It's Mark it is. Wade and Howard Porter. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that could be fun. And again, I've got a soft spot for the Amalgam the amalgam universe weird yeah, as it was it's stupid but uh, yeah, lobo the duck come on how can you not love that <laughs> oddly enough i i um because they did two trade paperbacks i've got uh one i don't have the other so i i've got the one with um super soldier uh jlx um oh um uh, doctor strange fate that sort of thing uh then the, yeah, they did another collection, didn't they? And well, they, they did because they did um, another load of amalgam books a year later as well. Right. So they, there's actually four collections: two Marvel, two DC. Because obviously each of them published half of the books. Um, I think I've got a couple of them somewhere. I cannot remember which ones. But yeah, so, they're great. So again, this is um, this podcast is is rapidly becoming uh, John Google's things. I was trying to think when did um when did Amalgam come out? So Amalgam was 96, 96 again. Yeah, it was between issues three and four of DC versus Marvel. Mm. Or the first batch of them were anyway. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because like we talk about nineteen ninety seven as being quite a turning point for both Marvel and DC. But it, it sounds as though like a lot was going on in ninety six as well. Maybe well, yeah, actually because ninety six 
that's Onslaught, isn't it? Yeah. The, the end of the year, and then the start of Heroes Reborn, so yeah. Well, was it that soon? Because 97 is Heroes Return and the beginning of the third volume of Marvel. Mm. So uh, does that does that give them enough time to, to essentially do Heroes Reborn and then can Heroes Reborn? <laughs> it didn't last very long, did it? It was a year, 12 months. Was it only a year? My God. Well, I guess the 13 issues of each, but the 13th issue of each book was an image crossover. So, Oh, God. I, I started reading the first... I've said it before, I'll say it again. Uh, it's, I'm, I, have, I have very few anecdotes, but the first proper Marvel comic I ever owned was part two of the Heroes Reborn Galactus storyline. Yeah. That's a weird place to start. It, it's a very weird place to start. But I'd never seen Ant-Man. I'd never seen the Wasp before. Uh, I'd never seen the Vision before. I fell in love with these characters, even though that is maybe not the best example of yeah, them. Yeah, Ant-Man's Heroes Reborn costume was awful. Hey, no, he... he, he uh, well, I... um, Yes, I mean... I mean, yes, it was. It was like a weird... It was like a weird mech suit, wasn't it? Yeah, him and Hawkeye. What was... <laughs> Oh, well, I'm very lucky in that Hawkeye barely turned up in it. But yeah, in hindsight, it's awful. I love that they reference they reference that in like issue two of Avengers Volume 3 when they're in another alternate reality and Hawkeye goes, well, at least I'm not dressed like a brown plant man. <laughs> Is that what that was referencing? Yeah. <laughs> that was I... a dig at the Heroes Reborn costume. Oh, my God. It's so weird, isn't it? Like, the Heroes Reborn stuff. Like, I, I, I do feel... I. Uh, I don't want to say it was a work of art, but I do feel that by the time I was reading the Galactus storyline, it was a bit better than what it was at the start. Well, I'm trying to be charitable here. Rob Liefeld left quite yeah. early. You know, he was the big deal. It was like, oh, he he's rebooting Captain America and Avengers. It's going to be great. And by like issue four, he's gone. And other people take over. And I think they decided fairly early on that they were going to bring them back into the Marvel Universe, that the experiment had not worked. So you do get things like in the fourth or fifth issue of, I want to say it's Avengers or Iron Man, but there's a reference to Onslaught. Um, The Hulk has a vision of the heroes fighting Onslaught. And they're like, what the hell was that? And things like that, they start bringing in these hints that maybe this isn't just a retelling but is actually the same characters continuing mm. in some way well i um and again i i don't want to say that it i'm not saying it was a work of art but uh with slight rose tinted goggles i have to go back and visit it sometime i remember like that first that part two of the galactus storyline focused on the avengers had some pretty heady stuff in it like um i've since seen heroes reborn stuff that is quite bad mm. and i'm like okay this was better like, you know, we've got a time-travelling Doctor Doom. Um, he's launching nukes to take down the Heralds. Uh, it, it seemed kind of cool. And uh, I do I do really like the Heroes Reborn, the Return miniseries, which was Peter yes. David and Salvador Rocca. Yes, I mean, that was awesome. Like, um, I'm thinking back to it now. There's that bit where, um, and again, just very clever storytelling, where they, 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 they're starting to think because... Um, Oh, what what gives him the clue? Is it because Franklin Richards pops over into the Heroes Reborn universe? Yeah, cause, well, he's got that globe. He's been hanging out with Generation X and Howard the Duck and Man-Thing 
for some reason. <laughs> but he's got that weird globe, which it turns out is actually the pocket universe he shunted them into. Yes. And I want to say it's one of the... Um, it's uh, a celestial takes human uh, form. Ak- Akshima. Yeah. And basically says, you're too powerful and we're going to kill you. And he goes to hide in the pocket universe, but somehow also drags Spider-Man and the Hulk in. Oh my God, that was so... Yeah, and again, maybe maybe it's rose-tinted goggles, but God, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, it's the moment when they appear and they have... Because obviously Bruce Banner went into the Heroes Reborn universe, (laughs) but the Hulk didn't. Yeah. Because they Onslaught separates them. And then in that universe, Banner becomes the Hulk again. So Spider-Man and the Hulk turn up. And the other Hulk is there, and there's just this moment of Spider-Man going, "I'm stood between two Hulks. I need to move." <laughs> <laughs> there was because um, it was, um, yeah, the Hulk of the Heroes Reborn universe had long hair, yeah. and was bigger. But the Hulk, the classic Hulk, who didn't have Banner anymore, and ever since that event, he'd been like a weird bridge between the universes because he was leaking, he was absorbing energy, yeah. So, yeah, it's like lights would just go out around him. He was, like, really unstable. It was very cool. Yeah. But they had this thing where, like, once they've sown the seed that their universe isn't real, I remember this bit where, like, they go, well, we have to prove it. So they're doing carbon dating and uh, on on rocks, rock samples. And they're like, well, no, it says our universe is, you know, however many millions of years old, billions of years old. And I think they say, well, of course it would because we're still in our universe. So Iron Man takes a rock sample and flies into the negative zone so he can do the carbon dating in the negative zone so it's outside the universe. And then yeah. he comes back. He's like, oh, my God, our universe is less than 12 months old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. It's great. I want to reread that. I want to revisit that. That was amazing. Mm. I've got a question for you, PJ, because your yeah. knowledge is very good. Uh, in all the Marvel Heroes Reborn comics i owned they kept referencing a character called rebel Mm. because when they eventually take down galactus spoilers they give the silver surfer some special armor they've built and it's comprised of like a load of technologies like shunted together including they say rebels gloves which have the ability to absorb energy yeah so I have Googled this many times and I have never been able to find any photo reference of a character called Rebel who apparently I, died. Yeah, so I I believe the character's name was Rebel O'Reilly. Oh. Um, he's from the Iron Man series and he's basically, he was one of, because in this, in Heroes Reborn, like Tony Stark, Reed Richards, Victor Von Doom and this Rebel guy and Hank Pym were at college together and were the Atomic Knights of the Round Table, they dubbed oh, themselves. Oh, God, yes, yeah. So Rebel and Tony then work together on the Iron Man armour, and Rebel is the first test pilot, uh, and it's it's like the silver, silver and red version of it in that test flight, and Rebel dies in that test flight, but then Tony gets the shrapnel in his chest and has to use the armour to save his life, and he's managed to use it successfully, becomes Iron Man, and then Rebel later comes... He's sort of still alive. Some I cannot remember the exact details, but he turns up in a big, bulky, like gold suit of armor um, to try and kill Tony because he blames him for his death and now his return attached to this armor where he's he's deformed and and twisted. Um, and then they team up instead, and he he dies saving Tony's life in one of the final issues of the of the series. Huh. That 
Well, PJ, and and you knowing that his name was Rebel O'Reilly, I've I've Googled it, and for the first time in <laughs> uh, over twenty years, I now know who Rebel is. That's there you go, incredible. <laughs> I wow. Okay, well, PJ, thank you. You've solved you've solved a mystery. That was there. Amazing. We go. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, well, if that wasn't a fun enough diversion, I mean, I've certainly um, I've now got a few things I need to reread. Yeah, go same. revisit them. Uh, PJ, where where on earth are we in Final Night? Well, yeah, we <laughs> we are. We just had the momentous debut of Pharaoh at the end of issue two of Final Night, and presumably he's going to do something amazing right at the start of issue this issue because he just jumped in to help save Dusk from. From a, a mob that's trying to trying to take her down. Um, well, I have to say, guys. PJ, before Pharaoh turned up, I was really asking myself, "Where's Pharaoh?" I mean, who wasn't? It was really just a countdown until Pharaoh's appearance. Quite frankly, everyone's been waiting for Pharaoh since we first started this podcast. <laughs> um, not to interrupt, PJ, but on that note, uh, I have pulled out my copy of the DC Comics Encyclopedia. Oh, hello. Uh, which uh, has since been revised. I believe this is the first edition. It came out in 2004. And I've got it open to the entry for Pharaoh. Oh, hello. 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 Here we go. So let's fact check, shall we? So it says, uh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. Oh, I suspect there might be an error already, PJ. Oh, no. Okay, so Pharaoh. First appearance, Adventures of Superman 540. Released November 1996. That doesn't add up. Because I think that's what his reading... DC Wiki said as well, though. Yeah. But we're reading Final Night, which had a cover date of November 96, but came out in September 96. Oh, I don't understand scheduling. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, PJ, uh, his real name is Andrew Nolan. Uh, he is a... Hero, that's his status. Uh, he is five foot seven. Uh, he weighs one hundred and fifty-five pounds. His eyes are green and his hair is brown. And he formerly, so I'm guessing as of two thousand and four, he formerly could transform himself into flexible and impervious iron. He is now trapped in metal form as of two thousand and four. Oh, okay. So here we go. Uh, I'll try and avoid spoilers here, but it says Andrew Nolan and his twin brother Douglas. Da, 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 sons of a famous film actress. Uh, da, 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 da. They were born with facial deformities. They were institutionalized by the unscrupulous Dr. 30 and his Three Love Corporation. Dr. 30? Dr. 30, yes, three, <laughs> three zero. I kind of love that name. <laughs> uh, he was, it's actually quite cool, yeah, the Three Love Corporation, yeah. Uh, he was trying to uh, exploit their ability to transform into iron. Escaping the control, uh, Andrew ran away to Metropolis, where he used his powers to aid time-traveling members of the Legion of Superheroes. Um, da, 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 there's some stuff about the story we're about to read. Uh, and Andrew's twin brother. Da, 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 da. And, yeah, and it says... Uh, well, there's some stuff about where he goes on from there, which I'm sure we'll get to. But, uh, but yeah, that's Pharaoh for you. That's everything you need to know. Well... On this episode of the Pharaoh cast, uh, we are... <laughs> so yeah, but, but that's our cliffhanger. And then issue three, you've got a lovely cover of Superman, Kyle, Wonder Woman, and Captain Marvel just flying into the sky while it snows on them. And there are ambulances and a lot of dead bodies on the ground below them. Yes, actually. I think the first time I looked at that, that cover, I failed to 
appreciate how many dead people were were present. Yeah, that's okay. Um, but then the first page is just straight in because you've got the title, Keeping Hope Alive, Final Night Chapter 3, Carl Kessel, writer, Stuart Immonen, penciler, Jose Marzan Jr., inker, Patricia Mul- Mulvihill, colours, Gaspar, letters, Ali Morales, assistant editor, and Dan Thorsland, editor. And it's Pharaoh and Warrior cradling the uh, limp body of Wildcat as Guy Gardner just shouts, Medic! Uh, PJ, I have one small correction to make there. Yeah. It's not called Keeping Hope Alive. It's called Keeping Hope Alive. <laughs> All because right. I, it's I got didn't read extreme, the font. It has an extreme font on the final word. Yes, I apologize. I didn't I didn't pronounce the font. Uh but yeah, um and I, I imagine this is a scenario where Guy Garvey wishes he wore a shirt. Guy Garvey? The lead singer of Elbow. Uh, I stand by what I said, PJ. Guy Garvey, warrior. Um, known for his his sympathetic, poetic lyrics and uh, not wearing a top, apparently. Yeah, that was that was a, um, just a, a continuity change in Zero Hour, wasn't it? Because Guy Gardner's original warrior costume was like red spiky armour. And then just at the end of Zero Hour, he's not wearing armour. He's just got like makeup. Uh, I'll take your word for it, PJ. Yeah. <laughs> but they uh, they yeah. have arrived at Warriors, which is Guy's sort of restaurant bar in New York, which has now become like a, a medical centre for superheroes <laughs> during the crisis. Uh, yeah, and um, people are people are kind of milling around. Uh, it's an odd collection of people because we've got um, a few injured. So we've got Blue Beetle, who appears to have like a broken arm or something, mm. who's basically there to be everyone's whipping boy, I kind of feel. Like whenever you need someone to be injured, let's throw Blue Beetle in. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got like um, Jean yep. and uh, Booster Gold. And at a time where Booster Gold is wearing his power suit, like an exoskeleton, which I think he was wearing when he was in extreme justice that would make sense yeah which was oh captain axum maxima blue beetle booster gold and someone else i think the 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 cool characters yeah it was the 90s after all hang on i've got my dc encyclopedia here uh fill fill the dead air pj i'm gonna look up extreme justice well you also get uh inferno and lightning lass or spark as she's also called in the background um and, yeah, I think uh, Mary Marvel as well, just behind Guy Gardner as he's shouting for the Doctor who's treating Blue Beetle. And I do like his line, if Beetle's arm doesn't need to be amputated, then we need you here. PJ, sorry, I found it. Uh, Extreme Justice, first appearance, Extreme Justice 0, January 1995. Status, hero team, disbanded. And the fifth member of the team was Amazing Man 2, who can transform himself into any material he touches. And I believe we saw... In uh, in the background of chapter one of um, Final Night. Yeah, I think so. I believe we did as well. There we go. I apologise for the diversions. I'm back mm. on topic now. <laughs> but so the doctor comes over to Wildcat and he says, "Look, I'm I'm he's not the only one who's hurt, and I'm doing the best I can." And Pharaoh says that uh, Wildcat was checking for people in a collapsed overpass. Pharaoh was trying to hold it in place, but it crumbled. And Guy very nicely says, "Look, it's not your fault. That's just law of physics." You didn't do anything wrong. And trying to help Pharaoh, the new kid. I've got to say, that is actually... uh, That is a nicer sentiment from Guy than I would expect. Uh, All his previous appearances on this podcast, he's just been a relentless asshole. So, there was... I feel like there's a period in the late 90s and early 2000s, essentially up until 
Green Lantern Rebirth, really. So even even during um, World War Three, I think there's a bit of it where they softened Guy slightly, and I did quite like it because it felt like actual character growth, and he could still be a raging asshole, but <laughs> he had moments where he was genuinely kind to people, and and but then. Green Lantern Rebirth, Jeff Johns comes along and it's just, let's just have Guy be a full-time asshole again. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> um, but yeah, but then uh, the lights go out. There's a power cut because the planet is, of course, slowly freezing to death. And um, the Doctor says, uh, you know, I hope one of you is a super mechanic. Your friend can't survive long without surgery. Yeah. So Lightning Lass says, where's, where's your power processor? And Guy says, well, the generator, it's, it's in the wall behind the stuffed tom-tom. Thank you, Guy. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, well, that, I, I don't know what that means. Show me. And he just turns his hand into a cannon because those are his powers now and shoots a hole in the wall. <laughs> that seemed to be a thing in the 90s in particular. Like, um, oh, who was that? Uh, was it Random? Yeah. Mep- oh, why do I know these things? Yeah, guy in the, the X Men who could turn his hands into the, guns. The like shape shifting is... bounty hunter who was with X Factor for a while. Yeah, yeah, which was kind of fun. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, guy guy blows a hole in the wall. Uh, you know, smoking hole in the wall, uh, which kind of um, destroys a cable. Uh, to which Lightning Lights last says, "Well, it's a good thing you don't need that anymore." Six, uh, you have Spark, the Legion's lightning lass, instead. Oh, I've been calling her lightning lass. Yeah, I think she's got. I think she's both. I think she she was lightning lass, but then took the name Spark to separate herself from lightning lad. But I prefer the name lightning lass, so that's what I'm calling her. You don't get many heroes called lass anymore. No, no, no. you need you need more of those. I think DC also had a big thing about calling characters kid something mm, like yeah. kid kid eternity, kid cosmic. It's cool. I like it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she grabs a cable, uh, puts the power back on. Um, I don't know if that now means she has to stay there indefinitely holding the does. cable. <laughs> I think she does, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, they the Doctor gets to work. And there's a nice little thing where I guess using powers creatively where he asks Inferno uh, if um, they can uh, sterilize uh, his instruments for him. Yeah, while in the background, a giant man-tiger leads an old man with his head bandaged <laughs> somewhere. I don't know who these people I, are. I, PJ, I'm not going to get the encyclopedia out to work that one out. There's, there's enough <laughs> characters who could be just giant tigers. Yeah. What's weird is that guy, I thought maybe that guy was supposed to be Ted Knight, but we see Ted Knight a bit later and it's not. Sure. Yes, it does look a bit like Ted Knight, doesn't it? Mm. Um the everyone's favorite old man who has made more appearances in this podcast than I would have thought possible. Yeah, always just looking through a telescope. Uh, but then we get um, a little interaction where uh, Lightning Lass, who has to just stand there with her hand in the wall, uh, basically says hello to Pharaoh. You know, says you know, even though he's new to all this, he's doing a pretty good job. Uh, while Jean just appears to be like hanging out in the background. Yeah, he's supervising. Jean is not very proactive at this point in his superhero career. Well, I don't think Jean was a particularly big deal at this point because he didn't have a solo book. He's he's obviously a perennial member of the Justice League, but the Justice League weren't really a big deal at this point. So we're pre-JLA. Jean's just there. Interesting. Interesting. Because, we, yeah, we said many a time, like, you know, I can't really think of the JLA without thinking of Jean now, but I guess a lot of that is is from the... 
the Morrison reboot. Mm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but so because Lightning Lass or Spark, which I assume is her first name, um, can't leave, uh, she tosses Pharaoh her Legionnaire flight ring. Yeah. She's like, I'm, I'm stuck here holding this cable. So here, you, you make good use of it. But I do want it back. Uh, and then everything is interrupted by uh, a, um, a, a broadcast coming this, over the TV. This is such a weird sequence. <laughs> it's astonishingly weird. Um, so it, it's, it's Etrigan, the, uh, the demon, um, who I always have mixed feelings about when he turns up because uh, he is a rhymer. He rhymes. And I always feel that uh, certain creative teams are better at working with that than others. Yeah, I don't feel like Carl Kessel fully gets a handle on the dialogue in this sequence because he sort of rhymes, but there's no, it's not really, there's no flow to it. It's just the occasional word here rhymes with a previous word in the sentence. It's not like, obviously, Jack Kirby created uh, Etrigan and Kirby did it brilliantly. I really liked um, when. Kevin Smith used him in Green Arrow. I thought he did a great job uh, and did some really fun stuff with the character, especially having Batman in the same scenes. But yeah, this this is kind of yeah. Um, who were the um, oh I can't remember their names now. The three demons in uh, the uh, the story with uh, uh, Asmodel and Neron and Zauriel. Oh, the little guys. Yeah. One of them uh, wanted to be a rhyming demon, but just couldn't. (laughs) Yes. At least he had the decency to quit, you know, while he was ahead. Um, uh, So, yeah. So uh, it's basically uh, a broadcast from hell, because in the DC universe in particular, which we've talked about before, uh, kind of biblical hell is kind of like it's a literal uh, objective place. And um, uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to quote uh, kind of um, Etrigan's lines verbatim, but he's essentially offering humanity a deal as they face extinction. Yeah. Yeah, it says, look, sign sign a deal, we'll, we'll save the world, but your souls go to hell. And by the way, this is an all or nothing deal. Every single person on the planet has to agree to this. I, which is also, like, that's a hard sell in itself. You know, like, um, you know, maybe there would be merit to signing it on. But like, if you've got to get everyone to agree, like, do you have any idea how hard that would be in itself? This also, I don't, you know, I don't know the exact status of Etrigan at this point in the comics. But this feels like above his pay grade, you know? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And also, it also feels like too evil. I know Etrigan is sort of at best an anti-hero, but he's never been an as far as I was aware, like the out and out villain like mm. this. Um, but so I, I don't know, maybe Etrigan is sort of a blind spot here and there. I've only encountered him a few times. Um, but yeah, this, this is weird to me. Yeah. This seems like more of a Neron thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, and maybe Neron would like offer people the deal and then maybe just so he could like retract it. I kind of feel that's the kind of like sadistic thing he'd do. You know, he'd actually rather see everyone suffer. All I can think with this scene, two things. One, 
because it's a crossover book, there was sort of a mandate, get as many characters as you can in it. <laughs> and so this is how they brought Etrigan in. Two, maybe this ties into something in a tie-in book that we're not reading. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe um, Blue Demon has a, <laughs> has a story. <laughs> what, I mean, what was... Um, uh, I've got a brain like a sieve. Uh, the storyline... Was it Underworld Rising? where Neron gave a bunch of villains powers. Oh, yeah, where Ocean Master wasn't allowed to let go of his trident. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, when w- That was before this. Yeah, I think. So, yeah, sorry, PJ. No, I th- uh, yeah, I think it was before this. I think it was... Because uh, that, w- that would have been another summer event, I-, I think, like before this one. I was just wondering what the status of Neron was at the moment. Like, was, yeah. he, was he unavailable or something like that? Yeah. Or I should say, maybe like 2% of every crossover had to be Etrigan-related <laughs> for legal purposes. That was That's just a DC thing. If you're not, you, you had to have the Jack Kirby characters. They all had to show up. Um, another, another character who has to show up is uh, the literal Pope, who... <laughs> yeah. um, I don't know what's weirder, that the Pope makes an appearance or that he's watching this on a tiny TV. <laughs> it's the tiny TV he uses to watch sports normally, but... <laughs> I don't know. I get the feeling in this panel he's almost considering Etrigan's offer. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's a very odd scene because it's resolved immediately uh, <laughs> by everybody saying no. Yeah, we uh, turn like, the page li- and Lex Luthor's just holding up a newspaper that says Earth to Demon, go to hell. Yeah, which makes that just seem like the the literal definition of a cameo because it... it 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 doesn't influence. It's like um, it's like if Batman was climbing up the side of a building and Etrigan just lent out a window to say hello and then <laughs> popped back in again. That's it's like Sammy Davis Jr. popping up basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Is Etrigan the Sammy Davis Jr. of the DC universe? Just could uh, be. Well, with the rhyming, he could exactly. have an excellent excellent singing voice. I I bet he does. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the Daily Planet has it's been resolved so quickly that the Daily Planet has had time to um, <laughs> put out the the next condition, which is uh, headline: Earth to Demon, go to hell. In an overwhelming show of high spirits and determination, the people of the Earth have rejected the Demon, like capital D. The well, yeah, that's, that's offer. what Etrigan was called as well, wasn't he? He's just the Demon. I know, but like, he's also a Demon. But you know, he's like, also... I. I the demon, in the same way that Batman is the Batman, but is also a Batman. But he's also speaking on behalf of hell as well. You could... Okay, maybe maybe we're thinking about this too much. I don't know. Uh, right, okay. Well, um, anyway, Lex Luthor is holding a press conference. Enough about the demon. Yeah, yeah. Lex Luthor's holding a press conference, basically saying, look, we've got other ways we can try and power and heat the earth we've got geothermal um we're looking into uh magnetic and gravitational fields lexcorp is going to build biospheres to house whales redwoods everything there we're also trying to find a way to restore the sun it's still there it's just being covered by the sun eater so life's going to be different but we're not done um yeah and uh somebody asks a very good question i have to say honestly a very good question saying uh isn't it only? Isn't it only a matter of time before Earth becomes a solid ice ball incapable of supporting any life? To which Luther says, Luthor says, actually, actually, recent data shows the molten core cooling much slower than expected. 
It's almost as if the planet's life force is fighting to stay alive as hard as we are. Well, and what do you know? It it turns out it is, but with some help. Because <laughs> there's another really weird scene where a giant naked lady curled up in a ball that is apparently Gaia, the Earth Mother, the spirit of the Earth itself, is is just sort of there as the spectre, tiny, in front of her, is is sort of warming her with green fire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, a lot of these kind of random cameos where we just kind of check in on people that doesn't massively kind of um, influence the story. Yeah. So to speak. Uh, but yeah, uh, Gaia, there you go. Uh, she's um, kind of tangentially connected to the Titans and Greek mythology hmm. and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then everyone's favourite spectre, spirit of vengeance, basically saying, look, if God wants the sun to be extinguished, that's fine, but I'm not going to let you die. So until until I know that this is our title of the story, final oh, night. Oh, he said it, PJ. He said it. <laughs> um, So I guess, like... Do, do do we know is there is there is there a known relationship between these two characters? I I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Okay, maybe not to be not. I don't know. Anyway, I I do know that in uh, I think JLA said that a weird way. JLA JLA one hundred, which is the which starts so so the continuation of a series that started with the Morrison run. Mm. Um, the big storyline is it's an oversized issue and it is the JLA fighting the elite led mm. by Cisco Superior, which is all part of a ruse to get humanity to unite on something to prove that they are worth saving in the eyes of, I think, Gaia or Mother Earth, whatever they call her. There's like a... There's a giant woman made of mountains who turns up at the end. I don't know if that's meant to be Gaia or not. <laughs> I I only have vague memories of it, I'm afraid. I've only read that one once. I kind of liked it. It was kind of fun. Um, but yeah, so that's all I know about Gaia, if indeed that was Gaia. <laughs> and we, we cut from there to Ted Knight's observatory where he's making some notes and looking through his telescope, and then he phones Star Labs and asks if anyone's checked the sun's diameter recently. Do, do you reckon he calls them most nights and asks, have you checked <laughs> the sun's diameter? <laughs> uh, I bet they've got like a special number so they know when it's him calling so they can just ignore him. Oh, God, it's, it's, it's Sun Man again. No, 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 Scar Man. <laughs> but uh, he's right to make a cameo in this book, PJ, because... Um, yeah, uh, we we cut to uh, some of our assembled heroes, and the sun is shrinking. So uh, again, uh, a, a weird bit of actual science kind of creeping into the book. Uh, the sun is losing energy to the sun eater, but not mass. So um, basically, its gravitational force is uh, causing it to collapse in on itself, uh, which is generating heat, which is good. But I think this kind of means the sun is going to explode. Yeah, so Brainiac 5 is explaining, and then Superman says, well, I don't understand. Surely with all the snow, heat is a good thing. And behind Superman, you've got... Oh, is that Wave Rider? No. Uh, oh, PJ. 
Yes, I think that is Wave Rider. Okay, Wave Rider, Captain Atom, Black Canary, Impulse, Phantom Stranger, Nightwing, and Firestorm. Oh, and Saturn Girl's there too. And then yeah, Luthor basically calls Superman an idiot, saying, oh, Superman, you silly boy. It means the sun's going to blow up. How long have we got? And Brainiac 5 says, less than 24 hours. Uh, maybe a little uncharacteristic of Superman to have said that. I kind of feel that Superman probably would, would have a bit of an inkling. Yeah, there are a lot of other superheroes in the room you could have given that line to, but then you wouldn't have been able to have Luthor have a dig at Superman, I guess. I, no, I suppose not. <laughs> Uh, and then he has a little dig at uh, Brainiac again. I, th- I think um, Luther is maybe having to overcompensate a bit by attacking the supposed smartest man in the room quite a bit. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and Brainiac has worked it out. But yeah, they have less than 24 hours until the sun goes hypernova and incinerates all life in the solar system. Yep, that's a problem. Uh, yeah, and uh, Luther theorizes that that's part of the Sun Eaters uh, kind of feeding and life cycle. Like it comes, eats the sun, gets a load of energy off it, and then causes it to explode, which then catapults the Sun Eater back through space towards its next target, which is which is a fun, that's, that's kind of fun, like a fun implication. Yeah, yeah and I, I I think that, yeah, as you say, it's it's a nice little sort of, weird creature detail that I think a lot of people may not bother putting in. So I like that mm. they've done that. I like that they've bothered to give the Sun Eater this this sort of little um, ability. Yeah. Um, so uh, Luthor gets another little dig in at Superman, kind of points out that, you know, without the sun's light, he's almost powerless. He can't really do anything. So instead, he's forming a dream team of Brainiac, Tachyon. Oh, it's Tachyon, not Wave Rider. Ah, oh, silly me. He looks a bit like Wave Rider, though. I think From he's... afar, in the shadows, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, again, it, you see one person with a flaming head. You've seen them all, exactly. really. Exactly. Yeah. It's just Ghost Rider, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So he's getting... Uh... Again, What I thought Tachyon was technically high father at this point. I don't know what Tachyon's doing just hanging out on Earth all the time. Taking orders from Lex Luthor. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Dr. Faulkner, Brainiac, Tachyon, and Cosmic Boy. It's a, it's just, if you and those like you would follow me so it's like all the super people who aren't superman is that what he means people who can i'd say people who can ed, i was going to say people who could manipulate energy but that's not the case is it um well yeah because nightwing and impulse are also following him i i don't know i yeah luther luther just being a prick basically yeah yeah uh but yeah so yeah, oh, Superman is left alone with um, Black Canary. Yeah, and she hopes that the time bomb explodes up underneath Luthor, and Superman says, "No, he's right. We all just have to do what we what's within our power to do." And then he radios Oracle and says, "Look, you, there's something you need to let all the field teams know." Mm. Uh, and so we cut to Dusk, um, who uh, is checking checking her spaceship, which uh, is in fully. Is fully operational, basically. Yeah. And then she's about to leave, and then the Phantom Stranger turns up and says, hey, I don't think you should leave. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, he's he's been hanging around this story, so he might as well do something useful. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's basically saying, well, look, you know, uh, you know, an angry mob tried to kill me. Uh, I don't actually think Earth is really worth saving anymore it's a lost cause so you know i'm 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 sodding off 
Yeah, and he says, look, okay, mankind is sometimes a bit rubbish, but tell you what, have you ever seen It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> <laughs> have you ever seen Space, It's a Wonderful Life? <laughs> so he, he basically starts taking her on a magical mystery tour, uh, but, you know, sort of psychically, so they can't be seen. And they go and visit a whole bunch of different people, starting with Oracle. Uh, yeah, who's hanging out in her clock tower, uh, which is kind of cool. And uh, he, you know, happily points out for the benefit of Dusk and the reader that they are kind of uh, in- invisible, intangible ghosts viewing viewing the scene remotely. Yeah, and that Dusk will be able to understand the language of everyone they they hear in this in this weird fantasy place they are. Uh, yeah, and uh, so we have, you know, we, we get to witness Oracle saying goodbye to her dad and then saying she's going to stay on air until the bitter end, keeping everyone connected and informed. Yep, and saying to everyone, you know, don't pass this information on to the general population, but act on it as you see fit. <laughs> as you see fit. So <laughs> free reign to start looting, I feel. <laughs> Yeah. And then we cut to the the little South American village which the Ray tried to save last issue and failed and now he's lying in bed presumably dying. Yeah, I don't 100% know enough about how the Ray's powers work, but I didn't think he was actually connected to the sun. Uh I, I think he just maybe He's just a bit tired. He overdid, and now he's he's tired. And he's a nap. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then out of the blue, uh, step uh, Zatanna and fire. <laughs> yeah, fire doesn't really want to be there. Zatanna's all showmanship. She's doing her stage act, and um, she's like, "Oh, okay, I know how we can help the Ray. He just needs." A kiss from fire and fire's like oh no do we have to do this um i mean i, I mean like magic like the rules of magic are, are, are wobbly at the best of times but like i thought zatanna could basically as long as she said it backwards she could kind of do anything but no apparently she needs to uh she wants to transfer energy from fire to ray but they they have to be in physical contact to make that happen yeah, and, and fire has to be in her fire form. Although it turns out she doesn't. And Tana's like, yeah, showmanship. Come on, help me out here. Okay, so uh, Zatanna says, Morph the mouth, ot ya, morph. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but she's basically saying in reverse, life and light and fire with night. Final, there's uh, this back, uh, push day to dark from... Ray to flame from, I think that's what she's saying. <laughs> oh wait, are you meant to say the words? Are you meant to say the words in the right order? But the... yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. So, so it's from flame to Ray, <laughs> from dark to day. Push back this final night. Uh, this... I'm such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> With fire and light and life. I, I, sorry, I genuinely forgot. <laughs> you've got ex- the words reverse, but the order is the same. So oh, I was no. just saying, and I just let you do the whole thing. I was saying, it really tickled me. <laughs> um, yeah. So Ray Ray's alive. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, I've woken up to fire kissing me. That's lovely. And then she just drops his head back on the bench he's lying on. And says, right, I'm done. 
Uh, yes. Uh, and then, you know, continuing continuing this kind of like wonderful life-esque uh, kind of Christmas Carol-esque kind of scenario. Uh, the poor villagers are like, uh, we will give what little we have. We would gladly give our energy. We would give everything to help you. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. And Fire's like, well, we can't do anything. And Zephyr says, yeah, we can. And she just teleports Firestorm in. <laughs> A very confused Firestorm. She says, Oi. Who looks great in this panel. Yes, yes, I, I I fully agree. Yeah, it's a great shot. Uh says, Oi, Mrot Serif. So basically goes, yo, Firestorm. Yeah. Or Firestorm Yo, if you're John. Oh, thank you, BJ. Well, <laughs> uh, both both are both work in this scenario. Um Yeah, yeah uh Isn't Firestorm like Firestorm's personality is Ronnie, but then yeah. he's got the voice of uh, the Doctor in his head. Professor Stein. Professor Stein. Thank you, PJ. So Firestorm doesn't normally talk like a weird Shakespearean person, does he? Uh, I'm not sure. Again, I was this at the point where Professor Stein wasn't really part of the equation anymore? But then I'm he got, sure. he got, that was a little, I think that was definitely a little later, because when he turned up in the Joe One Ke- Million. Oh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, even later than that, I was thinking of um, uh, the Joe Kelly run on JLA, where mm. Firestorm becomes a member, and he's completely, you know, he's just a goofy kid, like he's completely without the benefit of um, Professor Skine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, my point is, he's very formal here, because he goes like, why have you summoned me? I was only involved with trying to save all life as we know it. Which, I don't know, maybe a little clunky, perhaps. Mm, yeah, but as it sounds like, ah, no, we've got to do small acts to help everybody. And I've got an idea. And basically, over this, this little South American village, Firestorm creates loads of tiny suns that taps him out. And as the race says, it doesn't feel warm, but everything feels alive. How long can this keep going? And Zatanna says, not long, but as long as it'll matter. Um, yeah, so uh, then we cut away again to Sentinel. Yeah, in his inferior costume. It it is an inferior costume. I do kind of like it. I like it. But it's no Golden Age Green Lantern outfit. It is no Golden Age nice woolly jumper with a you know baggy sleeves and a collar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, he's he's rescuing people uh, with the green flame. Uh, he's uh, you know because um, uh, there's been a bunch of earthquakes because the oceans are freezing. Uh, I I don't know if that would honestly happen. To be honest, it seems so specific that I have to assume somebody did their research. Yeah, or hoped no one else would. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, and he he happily points out that because a building's about to collapse on him, uh, this would normally be a problem to him because his ring couldn't affect wood. I'm really sorry, John. My doorbell's just gone off and my wife's out, so give me a second. Oh, well, it's fine. You know what? I'm going to keep the microphone running because I (laughs) I have a sneaking suspicion I know what that parcel is. So hello, everyone. How How are we? Um, so I'm sure you're all familiar with the fact that uh, the original Green Lantern's uh, ring didn't work on wood. 
uh, that power, that sorry, that uh, that prob no problem. Use your words, Sean. That flaw in the ring's design has since been removed, so now he can affect wood, which means he's not going to get crushed by this building. I can hear PJ. Oh, there's a door shutting. PJ's coming. Uh, keep talking. Uh, of course, if this building were made with more modern construction materials, it probably wouldn't have that much wood in it anyway. PJ, is that you? I'm back. <laughs> He's back. PJ's back. Yeah, yeah. Very sorry. Filling. That was the, the postman with many parcels that we have been expecting. Was one of them a particularly large and heavy parcel, PJ? No. It was not, I'm afraid. Ah, curses. Right, okay, no. <laughs> I honestly thought that might be a certain delivery. No worries, no worries. Uh, so yeah, PJ, I've just been rambling about uh, Green Lantern or Sentinel's uh, weakness to wood, which has now been removed from his, yes. from his ring. But then suddenly everything goes black around him and he thinks, oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I am weak to wood and that has made the world go black. And then he mentions that he's been made young again and seen so many friends die. And this was a thing, wasn't it, in the 90s? Characters who were old all had to be young again all of a sudden, didn't they? <sighs> Tony Stark got de-aged, didn't he? Yep, the Atom, the Vulture. Mm. Oh, God, yes, the Vulture. He had, like, snappy, snappy uh, orange hair, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, it was awful. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, but he's literally like, uh, oh, God, thank you, the sweet release of death. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Take me now. I've lived. I've lived so long. This, this miserable existence. <laughs> um, but uh, no, he's not dead. He's like, oh damn it, so close. I was almost free. Uh, uh, a, 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 a saintly figure of light is walking towards him, who says, "You're not alone, Sentinel." It's his yeah. daughter. <laughs> yeah, it's Jade, and the blackness is only there because Obsidian is very dramatic. Yeah, well, to be honest, I feel um, Jade was a little dramatic here as well, actually, when she could have just said, hey, it's me. Yeah, (laughs) true. Uh, She didn't have to approach like a a kind of looming spectre of death. But um, but yeah, so her, you know, uh, his his two kids are there to help out. Yeah. And she says, look, we we wanted to be together, all of us, the whole family, including Todd and Molly, who I know who they are. Um, (laughs) And then they go, all right, well, we'll just see, make sure no one else is rescuing here, and then we'll all go home. And so, PJ, I have to ask, because I'm a little ignorant here, who are Todd and Molly? I genuinely can't remember. Oh, okay. Let's just, we'll, 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 I'll cut that out. No one, no one needs to know that we're Thank so you. ignorant. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Dusk and the Phantom Stranger have been watching this touching family reunion all along. And Obsidian here continuing his proud tradition of appearing in the JLA cast and having no lines of dialogue whatsoever. Yeah. We yeah. last saw him nearly drowning in uh, Metamorpho. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Dusk says, why are they doing that? Don't uh, You know, can't they can die anywhere, can't they? <laughs> <laughs> the Phantom Stranger says, well, yeah, but... You know, they still believe they can overcome any obstacle and all these superheroes, they embody that more than anyone. And then we get a lovely montage of Phantom Stranger showing Dusk loads of things about and just saying one person can make a difference. So we've got Aquaman leaping out of the water with some whales because having fun, breaking ice, I'm not sure. 
Uh, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, he's saving, saving the whales, basically. Yeah. Uh, the Doctor operating on Wildcat while Guy Gardner watches. Uh, Superman and Guardian delivering supplies to a hospital in Guardian's flying car. <laughs> Batman and Robin fighting Mr. Freeze, which is just cool. <laughs> it's a good-looking Mr. Freeze. It is. It's a lovely panel, I think. Um, and he would take advantage of this, wouldn't he? Uh, yeah. But, oh, and, uh, and then Guy using... His actually, yeah, guy being in two places at once. A uh, guy using his his hands like big scoops to uh, plow snow. Yeah, and save people who have been buried in it. And Wonder Woman holding a big old bridge together with her lasso. What is it? What is it with Wonder Woman saving bridges? <laughs> it's just her, it's her thing. Because like in Marvel vs DC, I think she we first see Wonder Woman where she's stopping a bridge collapsing. Yep. Uh, in uh, a Mark Wade JLA story we've covered uh, where a bridge is collapsing because of uh, oh the dude who had the Doctor Alchemy yeah. Doctor Alchemy yeah uh, they and and here we see her again uh, fixing a suspension bridge with her lasso I'm sure there's another example as well that we'll probably see it again she loves bridges just can't get enough of bridges <laughs> yeah yeah. But then after all of this, the Phantom Stranger just dumps Dusk in an alleyway. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and then uh, she sees a mob. Oh, a no. Mob. And she's not had a good experience with mobs in the last uh, kind of 22 pages. Yeah. And one of them says, hey, over there, isn't that that alien girl? And one says, yeah, let's get her. And they run over and say, it is her. It's Dusk. We better get you to warriors. We don't want you to freeze, little lady, because they're being nice, but with menacing but, words. But it, but it, but it, <laughs> again, let's get her. Yeah, like, but but again, is this the same mob from before? I assume not. No, it's a different mob. This is the nice so, mob. <laughs> so this is a different mob of people who presumably, they're just civilians, but presumably they've, they know enough of what's happening on the news to know who this alien is. Yeah. Uh, and then they're also like, oh yeah, we should totally just escort you to that pub where all the superheroes hang out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay well anyway anyway uh superman uh is traveling by flying oh, car to just before we go there that oh sorry that means dusk is now like oh actually humanity's pretty great and i should stick around <laughs> it's because they said we're taking you to a place where you can get a drink and i'd be like yeah but it, yes. it says she doesn't understand the words but she does understand the sentiment because everyone knows what a bender is so she understands the sentiment of a, a, a mob with burning torches. But they're smiling. But they're smiling. They're kindly taking you by the arm. That, that means everything's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then, sorry, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But yes, then uh, we have Superman uh, traveling by flying car to Smallville. So this is the Guardian's flying car. What's he done with the Guardian? <laughs> Uh, he, they, we will never find the body. You can search and you can search. <laughs> the ocean is a big place, PJ. <laughs> it's frozen. Oh, does Guardian know Superman's identity? I don't is think he like, so, I'll, wait, I'll wait in the car? I don't think he does, no. Did Superman steal it? Yeah, he nicked it. Just nicked it. Because now he's not got his powers, he doesn't have to be Superman anymore. Uh, yeah, so. Um, yeah, he's just come to check on them. He says, I can't stick around for long. Uh, uh, and, you know, Pa's like, uh, you know, have you, uh, so have you, have you, have you, have you solved it yet, Clark? You know, because you always do. 
Uh, you know, I've got to harvest for corn. I've got to harvest for wheat soon. The, the winter wheat. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Superman's like, I don't think you're going to have to worry about it for much longer. Yeah. So. Yeah, and they, they, they've also found out that his powers are going quite quickly. And Marge just says, oh, God, is everything that bad? And Clark doesn't reply. Mm. That's a nice moment. Yeah, it is. That's nicely done. Uh, so yeah, we cut back to uh, Warriors. So no, no, sorry, I apologise. We're not in Warriors. We're in. Are we in Warriors? Yeah, we're in Warriors. Yeah, sorry. I, I for a moment I saw all the kind of um, paraphernalia, and I thought we were in like the Hall of Justice or something like that. No, no, this is this is the Warriors setup. So uh, presumably, what we saw before was like the back room. Yeah, I see. I see. Yeah, no, this just this area looks much fancier. Uh, much, yeah. much fancier. Yeah, so Lightning Lass, is, they clearly don't need power anymore so she can have a rest. And she's gotten hella drunk and is, <laughs> is going... She's sort of going, but I, this can't happen because if I'm from the future. So if this happens, I wouldn't exist. But I'm here right now. <laughs> uh, 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 um, Yeah, and uh, Guy's like, you know what? Getting drunk seems like an excellent idea. Uh, sadly... <laughs> Uh, I can't because um, my Voldarian physiology. Now, I knew on an academic level that after Guy lost the ring, he discovered alien heritage. Yes. Uh, uh, and the Voldarian nature of his heritage is presumably what gives him these shape-shifting powers. Yes. Um, but does that mean that Guy... Guy could get drunk before before his powers were activated because I imagine he's a guy who quite enjoys getting drunk. I don't know, and uh, probably, but like when he becomes Green Lantern again after Rebirth, they just forget about this Valdarian physiology. I guess he he just turns it off. Yeah, why not? Then he can get drunk again. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so uh, he's walking around with a bottle of uh, what looks a lot like Jack Daniels, mm-hmm. um, presumably drinking drinking it just like soda because yeah. it's not actually uh, kind of doing anything to him. Um, and he toasts his old uh, Green Lantern uniform. Yep, yep. So back when he had the power to almost do anything to save the world and what he wouldn't give for that right now. And then he says, guess it's true, that saying about the grass on the other side always being. And then he looks over in surprise as he says, greener, and a green glow (gasps) appears in front of him. And the issue ends. Continued in... Well, uh, is it a spoiler? Well, yeah, because next week we're we're not moving on. We're doing the only tie-in issue that we will be looking at for this entire crossover because it's the only one that's in the trade, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, which will show us what happens next. And uh, that issue is Parallax, Emerald Knight. So yes, the end. The end. The end of final night. Final. I'm saying, final I'm saying, night. Final night. I'm saying things weird today, PJ. Yeah, the end of final night, part three. Uh, so yeah, we've got one tie-in and then a concluding chapter to go. Uh, so yeah, we're over the halfway mark, PJ. We are, and it's it's an interesting issue. I'll give it that. <laughs> it's. It's a weird one. I think that is the one where it's like, let's get all the cameos in now so we can finish this story in issue four. Yeah, it's it's aggressively fine. 
Yes. Yeah, it's 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 very adequate. It doesn't really do anything this issue other than establish the 24-hour time limit they've now got to save the world and that Superman's powers are fading even more. Mm. It but it it doesn't other than that it really doesn't move the story any further forward. Um it feels like they sort of ran out of road a little bit and there's a lot of filler in there. It's yeah, it, it it seems like the definition of a, and I think this could maybe be applied to like the whole story so far. It's very much like a a and then story. So it's like you know, yeah, and then this happens, and then this happens. It, it it's very, it's like we, it's just like it's just A to B to C to D, uh, and 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 occasionally with just you know one entry just being. A, a a page interlude with like hell that is resolved immediately. Yeah, the the demon, the the spectre scene. It's all just very. We just wanted to get these characters in, but we didn't really have a have a way to do it. It would be. It would have been perhaps an interesting take if the point of the story had been. Humanity is truly facing uh, a a hopeless situation. Truly, uh, and and if the whole story had been about humanity facing a very difficult decision, like you know, say, oh, we we could accept salvation uh, by moving to hell. Like if it, if the whole thing was about like a kind of Faustian deal, like what 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 depths would humanity sink to to save itself that could have been an interesting thing if if the whole story was about that but it it really doesn't seem to that really doesn't seem to be the the case um it, this really does just feel like a like a weird non sequitur yeah yeah it's an odd one it's got some moments in it i really like um like the i think all of the scenes to be honest with with luthor and the gathered superheroes i i do enjoy even though it's some of the moments in it are a bit silly, I quite like the Phantom Stranger and Dusk wandering around. Basically, that montage page I like, where you get the cool shot of Batman uh, and Aquaman and, and all that stuff. But yeah, a lot of it, it does just feel like filler. I like Guy. I like all the Guy's stuff. That's fun. It's interesting where they chose to spend their creative energies. Because yes. I, I feel like we're spending a lot of time kind of seeing some of the least interesting stuff. Yeah, and I wonder how much of the most interesting stuff is in the tie-ins. Oh, yes. Now, that could be interesting, yeah. I I've, feel... I've never read Sorry. any of the tie-ins for Final Night, as, as I say, other than the one that is in the trade, that the Parallax one that we're looking at next time. Mm. It's... Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it seems like a very uh, C-list kind of story, by which I mean, like, the the cast members we're focusing on. Yeah. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with them. And I, I think character, uh, you know, creative teams have proven time and time again, you can tell very interesting stories with some of these, some of the less superstar kind of DC characters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's just interesting that 
it's interesting to me to think, is this what a DC event book was in 96? You know, I think it, it was. I think it, I really think it was. And I don't, I, I don't even really think that the DC 1 million, again, had its moments, but I don't think it was much better than this. No. There was a... I think DC 1 million was... Now, to be fair, like probably had a cast as big as this, if not mm. if not bigger, and and you know, both books kind of suffer, I think, from from kind of bouncing between too many perspectives. Yes, yeah. What what DC One Million had that really helped it was a a fantastic final issue. Mm. We really liked the last issue of that, and I think issue four of Final Night is is probably the best one. Um, as I say, I haven't read it for a while, so it might not hold up as well as I want it to. But there's definitely some interesting stuff in it. And obviously we're going to cover the Parallax one-shot before that as well, uh, which is a slightly longer issue at 38 pages, so that'll be a bumper episode for us. Which is which might work out, actually, because I, I think uh, with this issue, and I think the last issue as well, we, we, we haven't had a massive amount to say. No, we haven't. We haven't. Because it's, it's very, just like, I, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to be too down on it because I, it's, it's, I'm very, I'm glad to be reading it and I'm glad to be exploring it because it's, it's, a, it's a chapter of DC history I've never seen before. So I am, in, I am enjoying it for that at least. But I think uh, outside of this opportunity, outside of the context, I think it, it, uh, it would have been a little underwhelming, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I still have a soft spot for Final Night. It's not going to set my world on fire at all, but I, I do quite like it overall. I, I I do enjoy it, the story itself. I think it, it should be commended for trying to do something a little different. Yeah, agreed. You know, for, for not having, like, a, a single enemy to punch. Um, I think it's it's not helped, perhaps, because I, I think the subject matter and the, the, the structure of the story is potentially fine, it, it it maybe just needed a bit more flair, yeah. And I, and I I think it's not helped on occasion by um, some of the dialogue. I I, I think um, uh, I I wasn't massively familiar with his work going into this, but Carl Kessel uh, has has seems to have never never passed up the opportunity for a bit of wordplay. Yes, definitely, definitely. There's, it's a big thing where it's that big. Um, very comic-y kind of storytelling thing where it's like every scene transition happens on an ironic an ironic what's wrong with me happens on an ironic turn of phrase yeah like it's like oh i guess there'll be hell to pay for example and then we cut to hell or something like that (laughs) yeah yeah it's you know as as we've said it's fine it's, it is, it is. Yeah. It's all just fine. And the next issue is interesting because it's a different creative team because it's a tie-in issue. Um, so that'll be a fun comparison. We've got Ron Mars writing, and I do like Ron Mars because obviously at the time Ron Mars was the main writer on the Green Lantern book. Yes, indeed. And I have um, I have read ahead. I've done my homework. And I am looking forward to talking about the next issue as mm. well because I think it is going to be an interesting change of pace. Yes, yeah. It's, as we say, it's it's parallax one shot so we are looking we are with hal jordan and it is incredible you know, he's basically on every page <laughs> so <laughs> it's a really yeah he's um interesting stage in that character's life cycle well again to be honest it's it's kind of what we're here for mm. like this is this is the this is the connective thread to 
to the the JLA cast really. This is a big this is a big character development coming up. Yeah, it's a major point point for Hal Jordan for the Green Lantern mythos in general and for things that did come out to play in uh in Morrison's JLA. Mm, indeed, indeed. And uh yeah, so that that is something to look forward to. I'm I'm I'm, I'm quite excited about that. Yeah. And then we'll have issue four, and there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about there, including why the continuity makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah, now that that's something to look forward to. Um, <laughs> yeah, because again, it, it's interesting with the Pharaoh situation as well. And you know, you talk about weird weird things for this story to focus on. Pharaoh being there is one thing, but um, yeah, I'm intrigued now because you, you you mentioned PJ how Pharaoh had turned up in the pages of Superman, mm. which was kind of confirmed by the DC Comics Encyclopedia mm. and the wiki, but the dates seem a little off. So I don't know if there's some collective error in in DC's record keeping, or whether a lot of issues came out kind of simultaneously or around the same time. Yeah, I probably. I mean, this would have been what a weekly book final night, and then all the tie-ins coming out that month. And I think Pharaoh's first appearance as listed is the Adventures of Superman tie-in to Final Night. So, oh, oh, maybe it is. That could be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To be fair, I don't think anyone's really staying up late at night trying to fill in those kind of Pharaoh blanks. I mean, that's our job here <laughs> <laughs> on the Pharaoh cast. That's on the Pharaoh cast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we uh, see Pharaoh in parallax is is there um yeah i know and it's all the worse for it um <laughs> is there anything left to say about this pj uh no <laughs> no i i'm gonna thank you again for uh um bringing uh bringing rebel back into my life oh, um i'm happy to do it i've got a lot of reading now because i'm i'm i i have i still have the google window open uh, with a lot of quite gnarly images of this character. Uh, I had no idea he looked like this. Uh, it's wild. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you now need to just go read all of Heroes Reborn Iron Man. In fact, just read all four Heroes Reborn series from start to finish. And it then... won't take long. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, you mentioned uh, Hawkeye. Mm. Uh, did... Uh, I bet you are, PJ, because you're very knowledgeable. Did you... Are you familiar with the weird plans for Hawkeye's identity? Oh, which one specifically? In Heroes Reborn. Oh, no, I'm not. Well, apparently there was very... I, I say plans. I think plan is quite generous. But Hawkeye had this weird, like, quasi-Wolverine costume yeah. going on in Heroes Reborn. And his mass, his face was fully covered. We never saw what he looked like. And there were rumours going on that they had planned to reveal that it wasn't Clint Barton. It was actually going to be Simon Williams. Oh, Jesus. Not that that means anything or changes anything, but there you go. Yeah. Well, it's like how there were two Thors. Because the Thor that turns up in Avengers 1 is the Thor that already existed in the Heroes Reborn universe. And then he dies or something. And then the Thor who had gone to the Heroes Reborn universe with the other heroes during Onslaught turns up as well. And he's like, hey, I'm Thor. And yeah, it's oh. stupid. Oh. Re really? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. Well, it doesn't 
Okay, it doesn't matter. No, doesn't. <laughs> Nobody's tuning in for a Heroes Reborn cast. That's not I mean, happening. aren't they, though? <laughs> well, I, we I guess could tear he- that stuff apart. Heroes Reborn is back, of course. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, they've taken the name. God knows why anyone would take the name uh, to do uh, a World Without the Avengers storyline. Yeah, well, I'm not keeping up at the moment with Marvel, so I... I... Oh, we'll to be fair, to be fair, PJ, we talked about that like a year ago. It's, it's probably ancient news now. Yeah. It, it's probably been like rebooted ten times since then. So yeah. <laughs> uh, PJ, is there anything you would like to shout about? Uh, yes. So, uh, Safe Space, the tabletop Ooh. RPG show that I am on, uh, that I am a player on with our lovely. Games Master Vince Hunt and the amazing players I'm with, Gav Mitchell, Jim Bamfield and Lizzie Boyle. Uh, We have just finished our first season. All 14 episodes are available to watch on YouTube. And uh, as this episode comes out, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but is Monday the 12th of December. Indeed, indeed. Uh, this Thursday, the 14th, we are recording our Season 1 wrap show, so it will be out the following Monday on YouTube, where we're just going to talk about Season 1, take questions from viewers, and, and just generally have a lovely old time, so please oh, do check that out. Amazing! That's, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, uh, this is... Uh, oh, PJ. Uh, I, I have been informed by... This this window I have open here that a certain parcel has been delivered. Oh, my wife must cer- be home <laughs> to a to a certain to a certain special boy. Oh, uh, it's living Christmas! In your come early. <laughs> it's a it's a Christmas miracle. Uh, so yes, I, I hope you enjoy that when you, when you get off air. Ooh, this is we'll we'll tell you all about it next episode, folks. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I if I have anything of interest to shout about. Um, trying to keep my head down now for for the end of the year. Um. I will mention that uh, if anyone listening uh, is a uh, was a Kickstarter backer for the After I Think tenth anniversary collection, uh, you should have received notification that um, we're going to be locking addresses this coming week, uh, and that things are kind of in place to start shipping stuff out, which is going to be quite exciting. And I, for one, will be glad to get the damn things out into the world. <laughs> it's been quite a project, I can tell you. Uh, and I'm also spending a lot of my time right now working on the latest draft of the Afterlife Inc. tabletop RPG sourcebook, which uh, yes, we, we, which has been a, which has been an undertaking, and it's, it's glad to I'm glad to be working on it again. Uh, so PJ, who knows when when that's ready? I might be giving you a call. I am always up for playing an RPG. We will need we will need a very experienced uh, uh, performer and uh, and talent and wit and raconteur. Uh, to to help out, and if you know any PJ, you should let me know. I'm uh, I'm none of them are available. <laughs> You're stuck with me. <laughs> no, no, there are, that would be amazing. Uh, there are worse people to be stuck with. Um, so on that note, assuming we have exhausted everything on this latest episode of the Ferrocast, uh, I should give a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork, and to Elliot Red for composing and performing our amazing theme tune, Justice. He also does the Safe Space theme tune. That's also great. <laughs> Uh, and uh, if you enjoy hearing us talk, you can find PJ and I on social media. Uh, our details are in the description. Um, although, given the way things are going, who, who knows? Who yeah. knows where you'll be able to well. find us going forward? <laughs> um, but PJ, uh, given given that we've reached that special time, would you please see us off in your own unique fashion? Pharaoh, bye. bye.